Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to use humor in your marketing to stand out and get more sales. Uh, my guest today is funnier than you and probably funnier than I am. She's the co-founder of the humor marketing agency Obedience that she's created with her co-founder Lindsay Rush. They work with clients such as Chicken Filet, Argent, Parachute and Sphinx. And I'm going to steal this small paragraph from her bio just to illustrate how funny they are in a sense and how witty they can be writing copy. At the end of the day, every evil genius in the Obedient team lives to prove that you don't need to prey on the fears of your consumers to make the kill. Instead, excite them to death. RIP your sad sales and long live fun. So that was from them. I think a pretty powerful copy and illustrates pretty well what they are very good at. They are the host of the podcast also Fangasm, which was previously named Poterotica Pod, you might have heard of it, where they read erotic fan fiction about characters from your favorite books, TV shows, and movies. So Ali Le Fever, welcome aboard. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Louis. I'm not going to make any comment to your, about your last name. That sounds very American, even if it's French. Um, <sighs> I know. We ruined it. Sorry. <laughs> that's, what, that's what us Americans do best. Yes. And that's what we were talking about just before starting to record this, which was, I think it's a best summary of American culture, taking, <laughs> taking things that are not yours and making it your own. <laughs> so most brands are, are putting their audience to sleep, as you, as you write in your, in your website. Um, they are an original and compelling uh, their marketing sounds the same. If I'm thinking about one example that seems to be the case in the industry, it's the marketing agencies or the digital marketing agencies even. In Dublin alone, I think there is like, I don't know how many, maybe 500, 1,000 agencies I can think of uh, mm -hmm. that I've come across at this stage. And they all have the same positioning, the same boring copy, and it doesn't seem like any companies are trying to kind of stand out and taking a risk. So why do you think that's happening? Well, I think that people play it safe because they want to appeal to the masses and, and they put out vanilla creativity because it's the most palatable. And unfortunately, I think that even brands do the same thing. So when they are looking to uh, develop their branding or develop their marketing, yes, they want to make a splash. Yes, they want to get in the spotlight. Yes, they want attention. But I think there's such a fear around, but what if someone doesn't get it? What if someone doesn't like it? What if I offend someone? And so they default to a safe setting. And so they often reach out to marketers that do the same. So it's, it's just a huge bummer because I think that, especially in these oversaturated markets and in every industry, there are multiple people doing things and doing it well. You have to say something different, do something different, make someone, make your audience feel different in order to, to get the eyes and ears and hearts that you are so seeking. And so the main thing for you is the fact that people really, they want to appeal to the masses. Therefore, their, their, their messaging and their positioning is, is very bland because you need to fit everyone. You need to, to, to please everyone. Therefore, you please, you please no one. Exactly. That's kind of reason number one. But I see as well the fact that uh, those agencies and those companies or those brands, internally, what happens is this, this concept of you know, decision by committee. Uh, mm -hmm. Even if, let's say, you are hired in a company like this, like in, in a brand that doesn't like to take risk, and you want to do this kind of marketing, it's unlikely that they will allow you to do so because they will try to maybe dry it down, dry those headlines down, and it's going to turn into this 
this huge brainstorming session uh, and workshop with all your team and then your landing page that used to be witty is going to be boring as fuck. Yeah, I mean, we've run into that before too. So, so the good news for us is that we are positioned as a humor and fun-centric agency. So when people come to us, they, they do know what they're going to get quite often. That being said, people get into the process and every step in the process, we are reminding them, remember, you said you wanted fun, you wanted to push the boundaries, you wanted <laughs> attention, you wanted to stand out. And we are coaching them and reminding them and talking them through that. And then they will get the copy and they'll love it and they'll laugh and they'll smile and then they'll run it by the, the, the whole team at large, some of which would, hasn't been in the, in the ideation process or haven't been evolved along the way. And then everyone starts to get scared. Ooh, what if we change this word? Ooh, what if we didn't say it this way? Ooh, maybe that sentence doesn't speak to that audience. And then they want to, they have such an immediate desire to water it down, water it down. And so our job is to push back, is to go, listen, you can water that down, but then you wasted your money hiring us. You can water it down, but then it kills the entire intention of what we're trying to say. You can water it down, but then you might as well be uh, every Tom, Dick, and Harry in your industry because you're going to sound like everyone else and we're back where we started. So, uh, so yeah, it is, it is definitely, it's, it, you know, we have had case studies where we have had clients who are on board and stay on board the entire way through the process, which is so exciting for us because we get to see our, our work live on out into the wild. And then we have had amazing projects where by the time we got to the end, they wanted to bastardize it so badly that we, we won't even put our, our name on it anymore is that they've taken it. And even times when we've delivered it, they want to water it down and they want to change stuff around because it's just, they even get scared in the ex execution phase. So yeah, it's a, a wild world out there and we are trying to create the most compelling, interesting, unique messaging possible, but it, it you know, it takes a, a special type of client to be willing to do it. And what would you say would be this special type of client then? Like what are the what are the demographic or psychographics that kind of make them unique in a sense? Or like what is how would you define the, those people? What do they have in common? You know, I do think that there is a a commitment from primary members of the leadership team that they that they know that they want to stand out, right? So I think everyone comes into the process saying they want that, but I think that there is a real uh, it sounds really cheesy, but like a, a real courage and commitment to doing something different. I think that there is a willingness to be uncomfortable. I think there is a willingness to trust our team and our expertise and let us hold their hand through the process and go, yeah, this is going to feel different. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to be new. It's supposed to be fresh. And so I think it's a combination of uh, a bit of guts, a bit of trust, and really just an ability to see the broader vision is that it's not about you and your personal style. It's about what your audience is going to really relate and respond to and how they're going to react and how they're going to engage with your product. And it's, so it's often founders and CMOs and, and really the people leading the marketing internally, they have to take their own personal opinions a little bit out of the equation because ultimately when we're shaping and building branding, we're doing it for the good of the audience. It's, it's less about what it is. I mean, obviously we, we want everyone to be involved in the process, but it's ultimately what's going to impact and affect the consumer and how they're going to respond and react. All right. Can you give me, before we dive into like how to do it yourself, but can you give me an example of a, of a company that, you know, used to have maybe boring marketing copy and where you, you came in and, and did something that was quite uncomfortable for them? 
Yeah, we actually have a company that we just wrapped the project with. So it's not fully out in the wild yet, but it's it's getting there. It should be in the next couple of weeks. But we had an amazing company come to us and they are in an almond base product where you basically can take this, this almond base concentrate and you can make your own nut milk at home. And it's really cool because what makes it so unique and different, it's the first to market, like to have this type of product, but it's so, so cool because unlike what you buy in the store shelves, it doesn't have any of the additives. It literally is almond base and water. It doesn't have any of the additives or chemicals or or any of that bad stuff. And unlike what you make at home, you don't lose any of the nutrients by getting rid of the best parts of the nut if you're making it your your own nut milk at home. It's really easy to use. It's a really simple process. So basically we had to do, we had to, you know, we wanted to, to, to really make them stand out in the market and get people's attention, but also had to educate some people along the way. So the cool part is when they came to us, they had a fun tagline. So they, they said their tagline was milk these nuts, which was so edgy and so wild. And that's what we, why we got excited about them in the first place. Because we're like, oh my God, they're on board. But every other touch point of their brand was, was watered down, was safe. They, I think they got scared. They, they really got a lot of reaction from the milk these nuts taglines, but then all their investors and, and then they started to bring other people on board, you know, on their team. And then they, then there was this fear that crept up. Oh my God, is that too much? This thing that they, that they really, that really got them on the map in the first place, they wanted to get rid of and water down. So anyway, when we were working with them, they came to us and they basically said they thought they wanted a more playful, lighter, softer tone. We wanted them to, to stay in that same edgy, bold direction. It, it went back and forth quite a while and said, we, so we basically said, okay, we'll present you with this version of a lighter tone that you think you want. And we created it and they didn't love it because it, it, it lost that pop and that edge and that punch that they were really excited by. So anyway, what we ended up doing is we went back and we, we created a, a personality and expanded the personality around this more bold, edgy, authoritative tone that really to us is what milk these nuts symbolize. And it, it has been this amazing transformation of their entire brand that we are, we are going to start carrying out on their social media. We're going to start carrying out in their press releases, on their packaging copy, on their web copy. And, and what we wanted them to show them is that you're coming onto the market and you're, you're a new type of offering and you have to gain authority. You have to have people trust you. You have to make people feel open to engaging in your brand. So we wanted to, so we love the bold edginess because what it does is it breeds confidence. It breeds authority or it breeds, you know, aspiration. It's people say, oh, you, you're saying something different and you're saying it with such conviction that I feel compelled to listen to you. And, and also you're, you're making me laugh throughout the process. And so I immediately feel like you've gifted me uh, something as a consumer that you've made me laugh and you've made me smile and you made me feel good without me even spending a single dollar. So I've already medically feel endeared to you. So anyway, they haven't rolled out entirely, but in the initial response they're getting from their, their um, current audience, when they've started to showcase uh, different elements of the branding, it has been banging. It has been so well received. Everyone is really digging really this new brand that has now this personality is permeated through all elements of what they do. And so I'm super stoked to see them roll out entirely because I think they're going to really make the punch that they, that they really wanted to in the market. 
So initially, when I thought about this episode and what angle we'd like to go for, I, I was I was thinking of talking about like how to use humor and how, you know the, the techniques involved or the method involved in using humor and and all of that. But what it sounds like, and thinking about the listeners and you listening uh, to this podcast right now, I don't think you can teach necessarily people to be funny, right? I mean, you might disagree with what I'm saying right now. However, I think you can teach people to have the courage to be funny in a sense, mm-hmm. or like to take some fucking risk. Yes. Um, because everyone is funny in their own way. Like some people have different type of humor and your brand could, could follow that. So maybe this is what we can talk about first. And then we have time, we can talk about, you know, maybe some techniques or methods you've used to come up with witty copy uh, using customers and, and whatnot. Does it, does it make sense? Yeah, that's perfect. I fully agree with you. I think getting folks on board and understanding the value of humor and fun and why it's so uh, such a value add to a brand is so much more plausible than to actually teach people how to do the actual work. <laughs> so that's so that's great. Let's do it. Right. A lot of people listening are like marketing consultants, freelancers, or in-house marketers. They have their own business related to marketing. So they would work either with clients directly trying to convince them to do something or they will be in-house trying to convince their boss, their colleagues to do it, to take some fucking risk. Risk could involve being funny, as you said. It could be other type of risk, which is like, you know, emotional, uh, better copy that is more like based on, you know, bolder copy and whatnot. But anyway, let's try to go through what are the steps required for someone who wants to take some risk and use humor in their marketing what is step one? How do you convince your boss or your clients to actually go for it? Yeah, well, I think I'll start by just citing a, a, a fact that, or statistic that I love. It really helps solidify and cement why fun sells in people's brains. So there are three core emotions that evoke adrenaline in your system. And what adrenaline does is it really cements in an experience. It really locks in a memory. And those core emotions are fear, grief, and laughter. And I think for a really long time, most marketing agencies were taught and deployed this tactic of preying on people's insecurities, preying on their fears, preying on their inadequacies. You know, what is the hole that we have to dig inside a person and let them think that our product is going to fill it? And that works, but it's shitty. It makes people feel like shit. Grief is another tactic. And, and you know, grief has its place in, uh, in specific campaigns. But, you know, we don't want to be the grief guy. And grief doesn't really feel, feel good to, to leverage as a, t- as a tactic. Uh, the only one that feels good for uh, the creators, for the client, and for the ultimate consumer is laughter. And uh, laughter is more than just laughing out loud. Laughter is delighting someone, surprising them, making them smile, making them feel good. Because ultimately, as human beings, we all want to be in the presence of things that make us feel good. And it, it, it draws out the part of ourselves that we want to believe is real and true. And that is brands included. So instead of preying on people's insecurities where uh, if you can't fill the hole, the next brand will, when you actually delight your consumers and make them feel good, they become endeared to you in a way that the hole starts to get filled and that you no longer have to, you're no longer competing in the same way. So that being said, I think just understanding that it is such a viable, valuable tool. It's just underutilized because people are afraid to use it because it's different and are afraid to use it because they don't know how to. So um, when it comes to starting off, that's a really fun you know, way to frame it is, is you know, it, it works and it, it, it does land and people do uh, respond and resonate with it. The other 
piece of it is what what is really important is that humor for us when we humor and fun without strategy is pointless and it's a waste of time and it's a waste of creativity. So we do not go into any process and any client engagement where the jokes and the riffs and the creativity is the king of the conversation to start. We are starting all the way back at we have to understand your audience, your goals, and your industry. Then we have to understand what is your point of differentiation? What is the thing that really sets you apart? Because we want to extract that from your broader messaging. And we want to redevelop that and reshape that in a way that's going to really connect with your audience. It's going to tap into what they believe, what they care about, what they need to hear. And then we're going to start to layer your personality on top of it. We're going to start to say, okay, well, how do we need to say this in a way that's going to reach the audience that you're really trying to connect with? What, um, what do we want to elicit in them? What's the emotional response we want, we want to attract? And then from there, once we have all that foundation laid, then we write the creative campaigns. Then we're writing the compelling copy. But so I think a really important thing is that, you know, as an agency, as a brand, is to understand it should be more strategic than it is silly. It's it's way it's supposed to do heavy lifting and it's supposed to really connect. And so you have to have all that foundational, strategic, smart stuff in place before you can do the creative on top of it. And so to me, I think that always calls the fears of our audience or our um, clients rather, is because they understand that we don't, aren't doing this in a meandering way. And so they start to build trust that, that we have a really fleshed out process and, and there is an intention behind everything we do. And so I think for the for the clients that love analytics and data, you know, we for us, we we operate in emotional analytics and in emotional intelligence and and in terms of response and reaction. And so that is for us how we're building trust is we're not playing a, just a data-driven game that's quantity over quality. We're doing quality over quantity and, and there's a very specific reason why. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but just to give some background is how we really start all that. So how do you, we talked a lot on this podcast about like how to understand your audience, your industry uh, and whatnot. So I don't know if it's valuable to go uh, and to go through that in detail. You possibly have some specific methods you use. Maybe you can name a few things that you always do for your client when it comes to, to the audience research industry and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, so we have uh Collectively, so I've 10 years in the industry, so is my business partner, our team, everyone has been in the industry, you know, in the marketing or creative space for, you know, six plus years. So we have just, I think there's just a wealth of knowledge on our team that we have worked in so many industries that we're bringing to the table. The second is we have a lot of proprietary information or really just IP that we've developed of, of what we call our humor archetypes. And there are many, many, many of them, but they are very uh, fleshed out, well-developed archetypes that we've created that explore and um, express a very different nuanced element of, of humor of what really lands. And so that's really just, that's come out of all of our time working in this arena is we've is we've really noticed there are certain patterns in in certain humor and, and fun and personality styles that we so so we're basically taking our industry knowledge we're, we're tapping into you know previous projects we're tapping into industry knowledge that we've gleaned through various publications you know our, our team and then we're, we're extracting a lot of information from the client right we have a very robust intake process that's very fun and entertaining but it's also trying to extract a different set of information that most people are looking for we're, so let's go through this process then yeah so i don't know if i'll give i'll give away the secret sauce of everything we're asking but what i think at the core of it what we what we're trying to drill into is we want to get to the heart of what does your consumer care about 
What do they need to hear? What do they need to feel? What are they sick of hearing about? What are they sick of feeling? What do they not believe about your product? What do they not believe about your industry? So we're trying to get into the, the emotional intelligence of your audience and really get into their psyche because that is what um, we're really trying to tap into here. So a lot of, I think a lot of, um, I wouldn't even speak to a lot of agencies, but just uh, I think a lot of people, their methodology is like, we care about just data, 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 and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, um, not logistics, but we care about, uh, you know, where they're from and what their age group is and all these other parameters. And yeah, that's important too. But I think what really gets missed is that we are often making emotionally driven decisions. And so that is the core of what we're trying to extract. So we have a whole bunch of questions that are all really trying to tap into the heart of your consumer. And then we're taking, oh, sorry, go so, ahead. So yeah, yeah, I need to cut you there. So what are the, what are the, you mentioned a few questions, but maybe you can repeat, the, what are the, cra- the key questions you like to ask? And then we can dive into how you ask them. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a few of them is what do they not trust about you or your industry? What are they sick of hearing about? What is tired, cliche? What has been overdone? What is, what is the way that everyone else is approaching us that they are no longer resonating with? What is keeping them up at night? Like, how do they spend their weekend? Like, what, who are they in their free time when they're not worrying about having to uh, be the thing that the world needs them to be? So we're like, really, I know it sounds like a really weird, lofty questions, but what we're trying to do is say, how much do you really know about your audience? How much do you really know about your consumer? Because when we can really understand them, then we can start to, to shape a narrative and shape a story and develop a personality and develop messaging around that. And so those are just some of them. But basically, it's like we want to buck the system. We don't want to give them the same thing that they've been getting. We don't want to prey on their fears. We don't want to, to prey on the void that they feel. But we want to understand it so we can, we can say something different that makes them feel good and brings them into the brand and into the process in, in, a, in a healthier, happier, feel-good way. Right. So what are they, who are they? That's important. But also what's more important for you is what keeps them up, uh, what keeps them up at night? What don't they trust about the industry about you? Uh, what do they trust about the industry about you? What are they sick of hearing? What would they like to, to feel more? That kind of emotional stuff, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Anything else I'm missing here? Or those are the, the key ones? Yeah, I mean, those are some big ones. There, there are, I mean, the questionnaire is, is, you know, probably 60 plus questions. So we really dig into a lot of minutiae and detail. But those are some biggies, uh, I would say, just to really help people start thinking about their audience in a different way. Because I, I, most people come to us and all they've thought is, oh, I, I, it's uh, healthy moms between the age of uh, 28 and 37. Like That's the kind of information they're presenting. And so we, we really are trying to challenge them to say, you have to, you have to tell us more and we have to understand them at a deeper level. So you're, you're di- digging into the psychographics, but on the demographics, because demographics don't de- tell you shit about emotions or why Correct. they take decisions. So apart exactly. from the question you mentioned, is there another one or two that you think are like maybe minor detail, but lead to the highest, uh, to the best insight? Anything else that you can share? Yeah, I mean, from uh, another one that leads to really good insight and from, more from when we're working with our clients is um, when we're trying to understand what are they drawn to or what are they attracted to? So we're often asking them things like, what is the last uh, campaign or marketing message that you have seen that has really made you react and respond, that has made you feel good, that has drawn out a better part of yourself? And so what we're trying to do is help them. That's part of us trying to help them understand. You rem- See how you remember that? See how that made you feel? See how you have such a wonderful, delightful response that you have become endeared to that brand? We want to replicate that experience for your audience. And so a bit of that is us priming them to go 
see how powerful that was when it was done well, when it made you respond and react in a certain type of way. That's the goal of what we're trying to develop for you. And so we are by no means replicating anyone else's campaign. We're just trying to understand what our clients are really reacting, responding to, to help them, to show them the importance of that. So we can really keep them uh, in that headspace for the remainder of the project. That's super. That's a super important insight here that you just mentioned. Because not only you can use this question for with your clients to ask them about like what connected with them uh, uh, to convince them that you see you can do the same. Like you see, do you want your customer to feel the same way? So that's one thing. But then I suppose you can use this question with their customer to also understand what drove them, what kind of campaigns did they like in the past, what type of marketing message did they connect with. Right, And that's based on the fact that you're not asking them about a future state. You're not asking them, what type of thing would you like us to do? You ask them about past behavior. You ask uh-huh. them about things that they've connected and they remember, which is much more accurate than the bullshit of asking them what they would like, which is yep. incredibly inaccurate. Okay, I feel, I feel we're digging into something that is becoming super valuable for people listening. So I'm going to dig a bit more and then we move on to something else you mentioned, which are the archetypes. I'm going to have to ask you about this. So what other questions do you like to ask that yield the, the best insight? You mentioned one outside of the, the others you mentioned. Anything else that springs to mind? Yeah, I think a big one is something we always close our questionnaire with is we have our clients make a bit of a vow to, to trust us through the process. And that we, we make a joke around you consider yourself married to us for the next, you know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, six months, however long the project is. Um, basically, because I think what happens is, is often, I'm sure many marketers have experienced this, is that a client hires you and they treat you like hired help. And we have no desire to be treated like that through a process or to, and to work with a client in that way. We come on as partners. We have expertise in what we do and they have expertise in what, what they do. And we really want to combine our powers to create something magical. But I, I think the biggest piece is there has to be the trust there and there has to be the room for us to present those ideas with them. So, so I do a lot of video calls with clients because I really want them to know me, to trust me, to get familiar with me, to joke with me, to know that I'm listening, to, that I hear them. But we do ask questions around this idea that you like, are we going to be partners on this project together? We, we, we really want you to trust us. Like we have your best intention in mind, knowing that we can always tweak stuff. We can always shift and pivot. There's always room for edits and feedback and all of that. But like, let us do our magic because that's what you hired us for. So I know it seems it's not really a control tactic. It's much more of a Hey, let's let's turn this into an enjoyable process for everyone involved. And when we all trust each other, that's when that's when we make the magic. And so it's been a really fun to see people's responses to that because people get on board. And I think they just need to be reminded that, hey, you hired us for a reason. Like let us serve you. And uh, and that's really cool. Nice. So to try to summarize what you said about the convincing part, a few things that I remember from what you just said, which are super interesting. One, you ask them about things that they've connected with in the past that are, could be edgy, funny, whatever, things that, that they kind of liked. And you say, tell them that you see, you, you like those stuff, you remember that. That's basically the same principle that we're trying to do with you. Uh, second, you also ask them to commit, in a sense. You ask them to from the start, and you probably repeat that over and over again. You need to uh-huh. trust our judgment. You need to trust us, and you do that from the start. The third thing that you mentioned that was interesting, and I'm going to forget it, 
but you said something a few a few minutes ago about the fact that uh, to gain their trust, you and I'm going to forget it. No, you're fine. Well, um, getting on video calls—is that what you're going to yes. say? Yes. Fuck. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You yes. show your face, right? You show your face. Yeah, I do. I do, and I I know a lot of people in this day and age they. They want to operate behind the scenes, only via email, only via, via text, only via their social media channels. I'm, you know, I'm an extrovert by nature, but I also believe it, it's really, it means a lot to connect with people face-to-face. I think it humanizes you. It humanizes your process. It just, I think it builds trust instantly. It's like, hey, you, you can't send a shitty email or be critical of someone to the, you know, to the same degree when you've spent time getting to know them and you have, and you, and you like them and you are connecting with them and you're engaging with them. Like, I think it's just such a valuable piece of the process that people just don't want to be bothered with. And I think that that's a really shitty move. And I think it does such a disservice to people. Right. Okay, so now we are at a stage where they send you information about like, oh yeah, my, my our ideal customers are single moms between the age of 25 and 35 type of bullshit. And you dive into their psychographics. You want to understand their emotional state. You want to understand what campaigns in the past they connect with. You want to understand their personal life. What do they like, what they don't like? What are they sick of hearing? What do they like hearing? How do you figure that out then? Because I suppose there's thousands of ways you can get that insight from their audience, from your customers, from your clients' customers, right? What is or what are your preferred methods of getting this information out? Yeah, I mean, so when we're gathering information on their audience, that's a big piece of it. But there's also a ton of other information we're gathering about their product, their brand, their industry, what they've done in the past, what's been successful, what hasn't. I mean, there's a whole host of information we're gathering. So it's 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 kind of the full story that we get to play with. And then um, when we're bringing it now, we're bringing it in house and we're going to, we're going to do something with it. What we're, the first thing we're looking at is based on everything we know to be true about your brand and your industry and your audience, kind of the first step is of all the things that you're saying are important about your brand. What is the thing that we believe to be the most unique, the most interesting, the most different, the most resonant, that if we plucked it out and we extracted it and we made it your core foundational position and, you know, obviously we layered on humor and personality, all that, all that stuff. This would be the thing that would really make a dent in the market. This would be the thing that would be fresh on the scene. This is the thing that your audience hasn't heard before and they really want to hear. And so um, that's when we start to actually, do, that's when our, we're, we're getting into our process where we're starting to develop the foundational position. And then we're, then we're starting to build all the other creativity on top of it. But before that, how do you figure out what drives people, right? What do you, do you get their customer on the phone? Do you, do you send surveys out? Do you, I don't know, do you go and visit them in their house? How do you figure out what triggers those people? So, I mean, we're, we're operating from the, uh, we're not doing data gathering in terms of quantitative data. No. I mean, there are times where we are, we are collecting, um, response and feedback from consumers. I mean, we're, we're trying to gather all of that, but we're, we're doing a lot more of the qualitative and emotional resonance than dating or than gathering just quant data because, uh, you know, there is a value to that. However, I think the approach that we take is a bit unique and different and is often uh, discarded because it's not thought of as, as relevant, forgetting that so many people are really uh, reacting emotionally. So we're really trusting our brands to have gathered a lot of good information um, from their audience. And then we're, we're reshaping and reformulating that to, to really help, help it land back on their audience. So you ask, you ask them to basically feed you everything they have. Yeah. In a very, uh, yeah, in a very structured way, but yes, we are, we want all the information, uh, at our disposal so that we can really truly understand their brand. 
Okay, so as you mentioned, the full story. So you'd have research, you have industry trends, you'd have campaigns from them that worked in the past or didn't work. So you can start to have a sense of what triggered people, what didn't work, what worked. Any other sources that you like to rely on? Yeah, I mean, those are the big ones. I think another thing too is, is you know, often we're doing long-term engagements with people. So when we are developing, you know, campaigns or developing, you know, certain aspects of their brand, there is an iterative process to it. So we, we do want to test certain styles and how do people respond to things? How, you know, we do some AB testing, how are people reacting in on this platform and this medium? And so that, I mean, that comes kind of at the, at the end, but it should be just like a person is, has many nuances and different aspects of their personality. And we are, we are flexing in different directions and we are maybe a little bit, uh, you know, we are one way on, on, in one environment and in one way and another, we, we do want to test out these personality, this personality and test out these messaging in on the, on the mediums. And so there, it should be iterative, just, you know, just like we grow as people, the brand should grow and evolve as well. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not working on something for a year without testing it. You're, you're showing it as you go to, mm-hmm. to test reactions and involve it and evolve it. Okay. So then you mentioned your point of differentiation. So you're basically trying to find the one thing that sets them apart from the rest, right? Yeah, because I mean, in, in all honesty, most markets are incredibly saturated and no, you know, people have this idea and they have an idea in mind and they're coming to the table thinking like they're doing something new, fresh and different. And it's often not really the case. And so sometimes the thing that is new, fresh and different is actually the product. They're, they're doing it in a way that no one else is doing it. It's something that's really cool and unique that we want to heighten. Sometimes it is really the way there that we can talk about it that becomes the new, fresh, and different angle. But I mean, we have yet to, we have yet to work with anyone where we haven't found a hook, which we call it a hook, uh, a really sexy, compelling element of their brand that we can really highlight and then use it as a foundation piece. And from your experience, so you mentioned the product, the way you're going to talk about it, what other type of hooks have you found or are they the, the main two ones? Yeah, I mean, it tends to be, uh, you know, it's either your the way your product, your product is doing something that, or it's either the quality of the product, it is the way it's formulated that is different uh, or fresh or new. Maybe it's the the process of getting it to from A to you know A to Z in terms of how you actually develop your product that's really different. Maybe it is an aspect of your product that we run, really want to highlight it that you do it better than anyone else. God, there's like a million different ways we can slice it, right. but I mean it has to be meaty. It can't just be like oh this weird ancillary thing. It really has to be because it's the idea that for us is going to do the most heavy lifting. It doesn't mean everything you say has to has to be this, but this it should be the centerpiece that all other things you say really spawn from in some in some way. Well, I'm going to give a bit of pointers for people listening right now. We've recorded a few episodes on positioning in the past, and there's one in particular where we go through the 26 different types of positioning uh, or ideas you can go through, and it actually helps you to generate thousands of possibilities. And I think what Ali is also describing is pretty much uh, connected to that. So to, un- to understand what point of differentiation you need to, to push for, and there are literally thousands of possibilities. So yeah, if you Google this one, like the, I think it's 26 types of positioning or whatnot, you'll find it. Um, so going back to, to one thing you said a few minutes ago that I'm not going to forget, because you mm-hmm. said the magic word, you said IP, right? And you should yes. never say that uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Obviously, please do not share everything. I know you won't. You need to keep a bit of mystery. I get it. But you mentioned archetypes that you've developed. 
in your company to help you to develop this kind of step of edgy and funny, witty campaigns or emotional campaigns that would, that would generate some emotional responses. Can you share a few then? Because one, once that we know the point of differentiation, I suppose it's time to start diving into the execution of it, the messaging per se, right? Yeah. And so when we are developing a brand's personality, we're tapping into these archetypes. We are not using them in their exact form. So everything we create for folks is customized, unique, specifically for the brand. I, I won't, I'm not going to go into the specific archetypes in terms of what they actually are, because that is such a, a, a you know, a, a big piece of, of our internal process. But I will say that what, what they do is there are, um, I, I kind of mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it again, is there are so many shades of, of humor and fun. There are so many shades of personality and each shade uh, evokes and elicits a different response from your consumer. And so if you want to drive authority, there's a certain style. If you want to build trust, there's a certain style. If you want to be really relatable and you really want to uh, create ease in your customer, there's a certain style of, of humor and fun that really relates. So, and so that's kind of what our heart humor archetypes look like. They range from things like self-deprecating, silly, all the way through really bold, edgy, savage. You know, there are, there are archetypes that are more clever, that are more witty, that are more dry and, and, and plain speak. So there are a, a whole lot of them. We've been developing these for a very long time. And they're, but, but basically what, they, what the point of each of them is, is that we know very quickly that if we want to, based on what our goals are of a brand, and we want to, we want to elicit a specific response in our consumer, this is the style that will do this. Because if we go, no matter what the client says, let's say they're like, oh, I want bold, edgy, but I also want people to feel really comfortable around me. And I want them to feel really ease, a lot of ease in my process. We're like, bold and edgy is not going to be the way forward. Now we can, we can maybe pepper in a little bit, but that can't be the core driving force in your personality because that is not what that, that persona or that archetype does. It just, it just will not create the reaction you're looking for. And so that's for us where you know, we've tested this out over numerous projects and it just, uh, you know, we, we just really quickly, it doesn't mean we, we don't, you know, test and, and shift and, and, uh, massage them, but like we, we can quickly understand based on what we're finding that our audience needs to hear and what the goals are, like what style will work more effectively. I can just give you one example that might help. So we had a really fun client. They were an IT, they were an IT consulting firm. Now as dry as it gets, like how boring is IT consulting? Boring. So, Boring. No one's interested. No one's, you know, uh, no one uh, is excited to dive deep in, into that world. Uh, you know, so what we, we decided is let's take a little bit more of a self-deprecating tone because self-deprecating is inherently likable. Like you like someone who can poke fun at themselves when someone can see themselves for who they are. Like you don't like, so if someone who's in it is already going, yeah, I know we're, we're kind of boring. We're it. There is automatically like a relationship built there. Cause you're like, Oh, they get it. They know that we aren't that interested in what they have to do, but now I am more interested because at least they're self-aware. So there's, there's like, that was a component that we peppered into the personality and and because it elicits a certain reaction and response, and we needed the consumer to feel that in order to be to pay more attention to the brand. So um, that's just an example of like how we leverage them. That's super interesting because what it makes me think about is I'm not going to quiz you further into your archetypes. I'm really going to respect your IP and what you uh -huh. do. By the way, you need to sell this as a product um, or in a, as a book. Um, God, thank you. 
you, definitely, I know people will be interested in that. But you're reverse engineering it. You're not deciding from the start, I'm going to use this type of humor, and that's it. You're using research to say what are the what is what is the emotional response, the main emotional response we need to to edit it from the audience, and therefore let's work backwards to pick the right type of humor that will work for it. Right? Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's often what uh, the, the misconception can be is when uh, clients come to us is they they have like a style in mind sometimes of things they like, and what they often forget is like that's great. We want to hear it. Like we're very interested in what you're drawn to personally, but ultimately we're using, you know, all the information we glean in order to develop the, the humor personality that we build on top of it, because it doesn't really matter what I like or what the client likes. It matters what the consumer likes. Cause I have a style that I'm drawn to that I prefer, but that doesn't mean that's what'll, what'll work for my client. And so I w- I'm not going to try to uh, force my preference onto the client. Cause that's not what's going to be the most effective. And the other thing I wanted to mention here is that I think the way you, you've developed those archetypes as well is to look deeply to marketing psychology and first principles of how people behave and how they think. So I'm not going to remember the, the, the name of the psychological bias, but the, the psychological bias goes as, you know, when someone mentions that they have a flaw, that they're not perfect, people are more likely to trust them. Right. I, I'm not yes. going to remember the name of it. That was from an episode with Richard, uh, Richard Shorten a few, a few months ago. Mm. And it seems to be super connected to the one you're describing. If you're making fun of yourself, if you're describing something that is not perfect about you, people are more likely to trust you. And so therefore, if you want to elicit trust as an emotion, maybe your IT consulting using this type of humor works pretty well for it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the thing is just should go without saying is you should be a high quality product or service to start with because uh, just like you know you you don't like bullshit we don't like bullshit either we only want to operate in integrity and we want the brands we work with to operate in integrity too so yeah we could we, we don't want to put lipstick on a pig we're not going to try to you know make something seem better than it is but there are definitely you know tactics that can make people pay attention to you in a way that maybe they wouldn't previously so initially, when I when I I knew that I would interview you, I the, your process was a bit of a black box, and I I remember I, I remember thinking that must be, humor marketing must be a sh- really difficult to do, right? Because you it's 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 a tough thing. I, I haven't seen that many companies doing it well. But talking about you, talking to you for the last fifty minutes uh, makes me think that you actually have a pretty thorough process that looks much more scientific than creative, should I say? And it sounds like the creativity part, which is like the writing, the copy and all of that really comes last. And even your archetypes and your process and all of that is highly scientific rather than just being up in the wind type of type of creativity, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really funny. Whenever clients, um, we, we kick off projects, they often say, oh man, I can't wait to laugh. And I was like, <laughs> and I always say, well, it's not really going to get funny till the end. Like, you know, we, like, like there's so much methodology and process in the beginning phase that all the, all the fun, entertaining deliverables, like you'll see at the end, we'll get there. But you know, it, it's, it's much more strategic, I think, than people understand. And, and it is hard. I will say it's, you know, as a team, we've collectively done a lot of different branding and marketing. We all do this now because we like this style the best. We think it's the most effective, the most enjoyable, but it's the hardest to do. And I think that is what has been really cool is uh, is to be able to continue to hone and tweak that because it, I think people are starting to warm up to the idea that, hey, we want to feel better when it comes to marketing and branding. And this is a, definitely a route to get there. Yeah. Feeling better is definitely an emotion that's Mm-hmm. people need to feel about uh, in uh, at the minute in marketing in particular um mm-hmm. 
So let's dive into just quickly a bit of your story because you started, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, your job titles are quite funny. I mean, the way you put them. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So you started like kind of a, I wouldn't say boring, I'm not going to judge your work experience this way, but yeah, standard job, you created your first agency, you started the podcast, and now you're like full on into obedience. And it seems like you've, your evolution is pretty obvious from the boring corporate life into like spreading your wings into something you truly believe in. When did you realize that humor, like this was your talent? You know, it's funny. I, I grew up in a, I come from a really funny family. My family is just, they're just hilarious. I think, I think levity and laughter has been how we navigate every part of our life. It has just made us so solidified and strong as a family. It's got us through difficult times. And I think that's just been the, the through line through my entire childhood and adulthood. I have a lot of funny friends. Like, so humor has always been just so important to me, but I never really thought of it as a skill set. And when I worked in more of my, you know, the corporate consulting spaces, I, I think I would inherently bring that levity to my ideas and to, you know, programs I was helping develop or meetings and, and, and even emails I was writing. I I just, I just, that was the way that I thought was not the easiest, but like the most natural for me to connect with people is like, how do you make people feel good and smile and delight them? Right. So, but that just wasn't a world that it was, uh, welcomed or that it was, they, people weren't really entertaining that style in the corporate environment. So the first time I really think I got to, de- to tap into it and develop it is I um, actually two, two gals that I, that I used to work with at a, a corporate company, they started a company um, and it was a startup and it was the first, first to market subscription box company in the health and wellness space when they first went on the market in like 2011, 2012. And they were, they were super hot. Everyone was getting subscription boxes with a different type of product. Um, and, and ours was health and wellness. And they brought me on as, as uh, the VP of engagement. And so, and they did that because they knew me from my work experience in my corporate life, but I also had a blog at the time that I was writing and it was just a light, it was just, um, just personal ramblings, very much just lifestyle. And I just inherently wrote, uh, funny and humorous. Like that was just my style. So they really liked that. And they knew that I had, uh, you know, the, the, the chops to, to bring strategy to the table. And so they put me in this role and they wanted me to develop the brand's personality and persona and how do we, you know, to really nurture all the different touch points and all the engagement points between the brand and the customer. So that was everything from the the messaging through the design and visuals. So that was my first time. I really got to flex this ability to, to really build out person, a personality and how do we really get people to engage with us and connect with us. And it was um, we were profitable in our first year. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's entirely because of, of the work I did, but I think it definitely, it got people excited about our brand. It got people talking about our brand. People paid attention to our brand. They liked it. They, they inherently felt um, more compelled to engage with it. I mean, it, was, it became very quickly a saturated market and we were somehow able to rise above the noise. And so um, that was my first foray, foray into that world. And then I went on my own about a year, after about a year, a little over a year at that company, I, I went off on my own and started my own first, my first company where I was, I was again doing consumer engagement and I was also developing programming and courses and deploying humor and fun messaging, you know, in everything I did. And I wasn't, I wasn't initially teaching that, 
but I was doing it. And then I started to, I started to see, wow, a lot of people are coming to me saying, Hey, they love what I'm creating and they love the programming and coursework because it's so fun and it's so interesting and it's entertaining. And it's all of these things that made them feel really good. It was disarming. It was humanizing. And so I started to teach I started to teach then courses uh, and, and do programming around how do you start to, to make a brand that has more personality and stands out. I don't do that anymore, but um, I did that for about four, four to five years. And then my best friend was a copywriter and comedy writer, very successful, very good at what she did. And we both just kept saying, wow, fun sells, fun works. Fun is something people don't really do that great, but when they do it and, you, and it's done well, it's so effective let's, what if we built an entire agency around this concept? And so two and a half years ago we did. And it was, you know, like we had done some other, we had partnered on some projects together before we dove headfirst into it. And then we have the podcast that you mentioned. So we were already doing that together. And then we, we started obedient and, uh, it was the most joyful I think we've either of us have ever been because it's like, oh, the thing that we really love to do, we get to do all the time. We get to laugh for a living. And, and we also get to see all these fun, creative works out into the wild and we're so proud of them. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, the origin story. <laughs> and how from zero to 10, how scary was it to start this? Oh, man, it was scary. It, it's scary in a lot of ways because what I was doing and what she was doing individually, like we had built some success around it. And so the thought of scrapping all that and doing something different and new that a lot of people wouldn't get and understand initially, that was really scary because it felt more personal in a way that all the other things we had done didn't. Because what we're basically saying is not only trust in the in our creativity, but trust in our concept. And, and that was something we believed so fiercely in and, and really getting people on board to t- and also to take us seriously because people think, oh, ha, 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 funny humor jokes. It's like, yeah, but yeah, you try doing it. It's hard as hell and it's really good shit. <laughs> so sorry, I'll, I'll get a little cocky. But, um, but so I think that was a big, the big piece of it is that it was just getting people to understand that it's, it's a really smart approach, not just a slapstick approach. But, you know, it's been really cool. We, you know, we, we were kind of in this world for a while. So we knew other uh, creative writers, we knew designers, we like, we knew people that, that were both really good and that were really funny. And so it was awesome to be able to start to build a team around this concept. And uh, yeah, it, it just feels good the whole way through. I think it's a great lesson in, in understanding what is your unique ability, what is your talent and doubling down on it. So well done for doing it. Well done for taking the, the plunge and your website. Uh, I would encourage everyone to check it out and to, to Google obedient agency, to, to look at the copy, to just read the copy. It's quite an experience and well done on working on this because I know working on your own company is probably the toughest thing to do. Uh, it's difficult to take distance out of it. Um, so what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is the same old boring ass marketing strategies and tactics that you have been deploying for many years and that worked at one point. They don't really work any longer. And even if they do, they don't feel good. And I think that we as human beings are responsible for everything we put out into the world. And if you have the opportunity to put out something in the world that feels good and is effective, why would you ever choose fear over fun or uh, fear over feel good or uh, what, what is easy over what is right? And so I'm not saying that, you know, the thing we do is the only way to approach it. I, you know, I think there are a lot of things that do work, but I do think that, um, 
people consume brands and it is, it shapes people's lives. And so I think we should be much more intentional about the type of, of, of creativity we put out in the world because it does influence and affect people. And if you could make a positive impact, why not do it? What are the top three resources you'd recommend our listeners today? So I know when you, when you mentioned resources, it, you, you kind of mentioned uh, uh, platforms as well. I mean, so what we use, I, as much as we are a creative agency, I, I you know, my, me, myself, I'm, I'm an organization process oriented junkie. So we use Slack. It is our best resource for um, keeping all of our ideas in one centralized place and very organized. We are ideating 24-7 nonstop. And so that's a really cool thing for our team to have access to that, you know, if we have an idea for a social strategy or a client idea or, uh, you know, email, you know, we, we dump it into Slack, which is, we love. Um, the second thing I would recommend is we also use Basecamp to task out all of our, our projects. That's been vital. We have multiple projects happening at any given time, plus all of our in, internal things that we're working on. So, we, we use Basecamp to just keep us organized, keep us moving forward, keep us deadline driven, keep us, uh, keep us really buttoned up in terms of how we're, we're reacting with our clients. Um, the third tool I would recommend, and this is a bit, uh, maybe a, a bit different than maybe what, what will be anticipated is I think also what makes us a really good team is we really understand each other because we're working so closely and, and, and really we have to put all of our creative ideas on the table all the time. And so it's a very vulnerable experience. And, um, we use, you know, I know there's a million different personality types and tests out there that people tap into to help understand them. There's Meyer Briggs, there's Cody, there's a million good ones. We use one called the Enneagram and we have really ingrained, embedded it into our organization. The thing about the Enneagram, I won't go into it is too much, but what's really cool about it is it, 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 it puts you into nine. There, there are nine different types. There are numbered one through nine of a type of, of kind of person or personality you could be. And the thing it does that's so different than all the other personality tests is it taps into what are your core fears and core desires, that those are the things that will never change throughout your lifetime. And so it's really helpful as an agency to understand what are each of our core drivers are and, our, and the thing that really triggers us or that really frustrates us. Because what we find is we're able to have uh, healthier, more open conversations. We're able to just understand when someone is not getting their need met, when someone is feeling uh, misunderstood or not heard, or when someone is wants to bring something to the table and they're not able to. So for us, I think it matters because how we work together and how we create together and, and the environment in which, we, which we've cultivate ultimately affects the way we interact with and engage with and create for our clients. And so for us, the Enneagram has been such a, a bio, uh, just an essential resource in helping us to have more open, honest, real conversations and just understand and, and, and respect our, our sameness and our differences. So yeah, that's another one I would recommend. Nice. I don't think it has been mentioned before. So thanks for for taking the time to do that. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for answering all of my questions and to be quizzed like that. I really appreciate it. And I think people listening as well. So where can uh, people learn from you and maybe check out your awesome marketing copy? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. And anyone can can hang with us at obedientagency.com. We're probably the most active on Instagram. Our handle's obedientagency. And um, yeah, come say hi. Thank you. Thank you. 
that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.